Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 643 for release on Sunday, June 13th, 2021. On WaveScan today, the German shortwave service at Königswusterhausen, part three. We'll tell you about software-defined radios and our Bangladesh DX report. On two recent occasions here in Wayscan, we've presented the story of two of the major transmitter buildings, Center House Number One and Center House Number Two, that were in use in the now historic radio station at Königswusterhausen near Berlin in Germany. In our program today, Ray Robinson tells the story of Center House Number Three and its usage over the past almost 100 years. Thanks, Jeff. Such was the increasing need for radio transmitters in Germany in the extended aftermath of World War I, a third transmitter building was constructed at Königswusterhausen in 1924. The specific location of this new transmitter building, Sender House No. 3, on Radio Mountain, was identified as Part B. Three Morse code transmitters were installed in Sender House No. 3, together with several new antenna systems nearby, and this new radio equipment was in use for commercial and news communications. Back in those days, the design and appearance of German radio transmitters was very different than American and British transmitters. Many of the German transmitter controls and their associated meters were installed on a sloping bevel panel at the lower level, not on the main outer cabinet panels at eye level as in American transmitter housings. Many of the radio receivers made in Europe during the period between the wars, and indeed up into the 1970s, showed the names of various radio broadcasting stations on the glass dial plates according to the transmitted wavelength. As a well-known and powerful long-wave radio broadcasting station, the name Königswusterhausen was often printed on the dial plate of German radios, so that listeners could turn the dial pointer to the desired position and thus tune in to the programming from that station. Now, with three transmitter buildings and the associated multitude of antenna systems, that was enough radio equipment at one location. There was no additional space at Radio Mountain for further expansion. Königswusterhausen was full up, and if any additional installation was needed, then a new location would be sought. Towards the end of the European war in the middle of the last century, as Russian troops approached Berlin, they were ordered to capture the twin Königswusterhausen and Zeesen radio stations undamaged. The final broadcasts from Königswusterhausen under the Nazi administration occurred towards the end of April 1945. On April the 25th, the few remaining radio personnel at Königswusterhausen Zeesen closed the stations down and fled. At the end of that same year, 1945, the Russians installed a 10 kilowatt longwave transmitter into Senderhouse No. 3, and this carried the main program stream from East Berlin. In August 1946, a 100 kilowatt longwave transmitter was installed, and this carried the Deutschland Sender program, also from East Berlin. This unit was on the air for more than 30 years until it was closed in 1997, though it still remains in place. 
Montrenoten, a non-stop program of a thousand jolly notes of music, featuring Ludwig Bernauer and the Meister Sextet, who are all going to sing, Fred Dumke, who is going to play his bandonion, Waldemar Giebisch on the piano, and the Golden Seven and their orchestra, assisted by the orchestra of the Deutschlandsender, directed by Karl List and Georg Hess. In 1952, the fourth floor of an old furniture factory building at 15 Lepperstrasse in Oberschöneweide, suburban East Berlin, was redesigned for use as the head office and studios for an extensive network of long-wave, medium-wave, short-wave and FM stations throughout East Germany. The East Berlin studio complex was in use until 1991, one year after German reunification. Their shortwave stations were located at Königswusterhausen, Zeesen, Leipzig and Nauen. In 1964, a locally assembled 70 kilowatt longwave transmitter was installed and this unit remained in service for nearly 30 years until it was closed down in 1992 and this silent transmitter also remains in situ. Due to economic and environmental problems, the entire station at Königswusterhausen was closed in 1997, and all transmitter buildings, including Senderhaus No. 3, remain partly empty. However, these days, the entire complex is an important and very interesting radio museum that illustrates the century-old history of radio broadcasting in Germany. Next time we visit this series, we'll look at the story of the historic shortwave station located at nearby Zeesen. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, Dave Zantow in Janesville, Wisconsin, forwards us a note from Mark Taylor of Wisconsin, who says, It's my pleasure to uh, be your host for the 2021 Madison-Milwaukee Get-Together for DXers and Radio Enthusiasts. Now, a lot of uh, meetings are taking place now this summer and fall that didn't take place last year due to the pandemic, and that is the case with uh, this meeting. This is the delayed 27th Madison-Milwaukee DX get-together for people in uh, primarily in Wisconsin in that area. It says we would be very pleased if uh, anyone could join us. The Madison-Milwaukee DX get-together has been held on the third Saturday in August every year except the 2020 pandemic year since 1994. The purpose from the beginning has been to promote camaraderie among all DXers and radio hobbyists, making new friends and renewing old friendships. This is an all-band event which brings together a diverse group of hobbyists who have one thing in common, a love of radio. Each year, the get-together alternates a venue between the city of Madison and the city of Milwaukee in Wisconsin. This is uh, basically uh, just north of uh, Chicago, a little ways, the state of Wisconsin. Uh, This year, it is Madison's turn to host the event. It will be on Saturday, August 21st, if you want to take note of this, August 21st, from 1 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. You can come any time during that period and leave when you must. It will be at uh, Mark Taylor's home in Madison, and uh, we'll give you uh, uh, an email to get more information in a moment. As usual, you can expect an afternoon of good fellowship and lots of DX talk in an informal atmosphere. 
If you like, bring along radios, antennas, station souvenirs, QSLs, photos, logbooks, or any show-and-tell items to share with the group. There are opportunities to DX during the event, and a few informal demonstrations are anticipated. We will have both indoor and outdoor areas, weather permitting. A highlight of every Madison-Milwaukee get-together has always been the dinner. Dinner is followed by a night session of DX and camaraderie until 9.30 p.m. or so. As of uh, the time, this time, the uh, COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted for vaccinated individuals in Wisconsin. Some things have been changing. We'll abide by any Dane County Health Department orders or restrictions, although we don't anticipate any at this time. We'll make accommodations as possible, depending on the pandemic conditions at the time of the meeting. And if you would, uh, well, he would like an RSVP if you plan to attend, so he can have an idea of the approximate number of participants. And you can also get more information about the meeting. And if you have a presentation or display or would like to offer assistance, you can contact Mark Taylor. And his email is M-A-R-K-O-K-P-I-K. That's M-A-R-K-O-K-P-I-K at gmail.com. So, uh, a lot of people uh, starting to get together now for uh, DX events and other events uh, uh, as the COVID conditions get a little bit better in uh, the United States now. Well, today on Wayscan, Aaron Castillo talks to John Hudson of SDR Play about the emerging field of software-defined radios, SDRs, a major leap in radio receiver technology. John Hudson is the co-founder and an engineer at SDR Play, a company that designs and manufactures SDR devices for the hobbyist market. Aaron spoke with John about the history and technology behind radio receivers, SDRs, and a little bit about how SDR Play functions. One of the most interesting developments in shortwave radio is the evolution of radio equipment, specifically the radio receiver. From its humble beginnings as a small tube filled with iron fillings to the transistor revolution, the radio receiver has vastly improved in sensitivity, reception quality, and experience. However, in the last decade, there has been a major breakthrough in radio technology with the advent of software-defined radios, which harness the power of a computer to do all the heavy lifting. One company exploring this field is SDR Play, a UK-based designer and manufacturer of SDR radios for the hobbyist market. My guest for today is John Hudson, G4ABQ, the co-founder and engineer of SDR Play. Hi, welcome to the show, John. Hi, Aaron. Well, thanks for having me on. Before we begin, I need to make a disclaimer. For the interest of transparency, I want to mention that I am not an owner or employee or stockholder of SDR Play, I have no financial stake in the company. However, I do own and use an SDR Play product that I've been using for about three months now. And because of this, I want to state this is not a review or endorsement of any products, but instead a discussion of the technology of SDRs and how SDR Play manufactures and produces their SDRs. So before we dive into the techno babble of receiver technology, I first want to ask you, how did you get into the world of shortwave radio? So, wow, it goes back a long, a long, long way because um, I'm actually 65 years old. So I've been around uh, about half the length of time of 
sort of usable radio, actually, from those first um, transatlantic signals from Marconi. But um, I first got into it, I think I was inspired by my dad, who um, uh, actually did what a lot of dads did back then, was to try to make a crystal set work. And that was literally the iron filings you describe, a, a tiny attempt at a, a very crude diode effect, um, originally called a cat's whisker. I think this was one up from that. It was um, uh, just enough diode element. If you got the crystal and the little wire just in the right place to actually uh, do the um, detecting function, to actually co convert a radio wave back to the analog uh, audio that was superimposed upon it, in, in, as in the normal sort of AM broadcasts. And oh, I was I was really bored, actually, because I thought this is just boring because um, we'd got a proper, you know, I think there was still valve or tube based uh, wireless sets, radio sets. And that looked like the real business. And I, I could see I was being fobbed off with this kind of <laughs> toy thing, which didn't actually work very well. Um, but I kind of stuck with it enough to realize um there was some magic there. And I'll tell you what the magic was, was obviously there was no power supply visible. There was no plugging into the mains, no batteries. And I thought that was kind of cool. And one of the you know local AM stations, you could pick it up. Um, that inspired me, probably, I don't know, age seven, six, eight, maybe. And then, you know, a kind uncle got me, got me an, an ex-military communications receiver, uh, which I had for my birthday, age 12, and never looked back. So you've been deep into the world, start off running. Uh, yeah, I think Aaron, what it was, yeah, and through my teenage years, I, I think I was probably more excited about the idea of communicating, and I discovered amateur radio. And remember, this is before the days of the internet. I mean, this was kind of a, a geeky, cool thing you could do to pick up. And actually, if you did, did the full license you could transmit signals bounce them off, off the ionosphere and i could you know by the time i was 16 i was talking to russians you know from my bedroom and no one talked to russians i mean you weren't allowed to but they they had they actually let their um, citizens have very controlled conversations and it was just amazing so i and i got into some construction and building and then um, and then you get older and then you have to find a real job. So <laughs> and, um, I eventually got into semiconductors many years in that. And then what happened uh, going back about seven or eight years was um, history kind of went full circle. And it was my hobby interest in radio that I shelved really for 50 years, <laughs> 40, 40 odd years. Um, and coming together with some very bright semiconductor uh, people I'd known through through the industry and if you go back to 2012 and 13 14 um people had discovered that you could take these tv tuner dongles and uh actually um with a with using a tuner circuit actually have whole chunks of rf spectrum fed into your computer where it just took the uh, INQ signals, the basically the phase and quadrature signals from uh, the uh, decoded or the digitized uh, slice of spectrum and 
every year you get a better computer for the same buck. And these computers are powerful enough and smart people writing software, DSP algorithm software to uh, actually do the kind of um, filtering and decoding and stuff, which traditionally would have taken uh, expensive hardware. Um, And if you look at the evolution of of radio over the last 50 years, it's been through quite a few uh, big changes. First, there was a transistor, Mr. Shockley's invention from 1948. And then there was um, uh, soon after on the scale of things, it was 59 when um, Norris and Jack Hilby of Texas Instruments invented the silicon chip. And that was the ability to put two transistors together without having to do any external wiring and soldering. And then it was like Shaharahad's a story of the grain of rice, you know, Moore's law, every every two years you get twice as many uh, for half the price. And um, so that then meant super micro miniaturization, the way open to enough processing power to do in real time what we call today SDR uh, decoding. So it's, it's, it's really a game changer. And it's now affordable at a spec level, which, you know, means that a lot of people can start to listen to signals across the whole radio spectrum that otherwise, you know, um, you'd either have to be, you know, shelling out a lot of money for some dedicated hardware or, you know, go find something else to do. So it's opening up the hobby and it's great to see a new kind of, a breed of, of radio hams coming to displace all the old guys who just sort of sit around moaning about the state of the world and, uh, you know, <laughs> actually the instant put off to many newcomers to uh, to the radio hobby. I want to expand on the basics of, first, let's talk about, like, how does a radio in general pick up and output audio from the signal? So first, let's talk about the basic steps that it takes to transform a, let's say, an AM signal into usable audio. So, yeah, an AM signal is probably the easiest to picture. If if you start with the original CW, can carry a wave, which was uh, probably more, like people think back to early Morse code. So there, basically, you had really just an oscillator exciting... um, a tuned circuit, a resonant circuit. So, um, uh, you know, electrons in a circuit will naturally, uh, if you have, if you imagine like a capacitor and an inductor in parallel, the capacitor has the ability to store some charge. So let's say you've got that capacitor, you instantaneously put a battery across it, and now one plate is negative, the other is positive. And it just sits there and maybe leaks away through the air if you never did anything. If you then short circuit it with, instead of just a straight bit of wire, some kind of inductance to give it a bit of work to do, um, it will, the current will flow through that inductor, which will in itself create a magnetic field, which will kind of fight the, the, the force of, of, of current that, was going there and it'll build up to the point when suddenly 
the capacitor will have been charged the other way, it will go all the way back, and it will slosh backwards and forwards with a resonant frequency. That was John Hudson of SDR Play speaking with Aaron Castillo, host of Electronic Echoes on kpcradio.com in Los Angeles. More info on SDR Play can be found at www.sdrplay.com. That's www.sdrplay.com. And now let's go all the way to Bangladesh. Here's Salahuddin Dalar with some DX news. Dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you to the June 2021 edition of Bangladesh DX Report on Webiscan. I am Salahuddin Dalar from Ratshahi, Bangladesh. Glad to be back and thanks for listening. The receiving log of different radio stations. June 1st. Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty via Ufortun Uzbek News, read by OMO, was heard at 1403 UTC on 15310 kHz. The SIO code was 333. Trans World Radio via Irivan Hindi Service Christian Religious Program was heard at 1420 UTC on 13690 kHz, the SIO code was 454. Voice of Korea, Korean service, YL song was heard at 1426 UTC on 13650 kHz, the SIO code was 333. NSK World Radio via Isudan Persian program Opening with ID by YL was heard at 1430 UTC on 13680 kHz. The SIO code was 444. 3rd June, Radio Saudi Arabia, Jeddah, Uzbek service, Islamic talk by OM was heard at 1540 the SIO code was 444. 5th June. Test transmission to Myanmar in Burmese from MGLB Madagascar was heard at 1100 UTC on 17800 kHz. The SIO code was 1645 UTC on 17800 kHz, the SIO code was 232. WBCQ via Ufartun, English religious English program was heard at 1710 UTC on 17700 kHz, the SIO code was 322. Radio Kuwait, Urdu service, discussion about impact of Social media was heard at 1740 UTC on 15540 kHz. The SIO code was 454. June 6th, 
All India Radio, Nepali Service, Nepali Song was heard at 0920 UTC on 9950 kHz. The SIO code was 343. Hope Radio Palau, English program was heard at 0935 for sharing their logs with us. If you have any comments and suggestion and send your reception report to the following email address dxbangla at the rate gmail.com The address again dxbangla at the rate gmail.com Okay, I will come with more dx news and logs in the next edition. Till then, take care. Salaudin Dollar, Ratshahi, Bangladesh. We end Wavescan today with some music from Venezuela. This is a song called Libertad, played by Jonathan Bolivar, who's from Venezuela. Uh, he plays classical guitar, lives now in Vienna, Austria. Thanks for listening to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the original radio Saigon and our Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for Wavescan. Send your AWR and KSDA reports for the program to the AWR address in Thailand, coming in a moment, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry Wavescan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan non-reception reports is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida in the United States. Till next week, good listening, everyone.